Welcome to the Hobcast, a weekly podcast from Hobeck Books, an independent publisher of thrillers, crime and suspense novels. Each week we'll take you behind the scenes of what we do, the challenges and the triumphs, the bumps and troughs of building a new creative business in this pandemic world. We'll hear from the people who make all this possible, the authors, cover designers and editors, and we'll have expert insights from our guest star interviews. Nothing is off the agenda on the Hopcast from Hobeck Books, as we combined trad values and an indie spirit. Hello. Hey, what? Hey, up. hey up from Arrogate. Oh, I get it. Yeah, welcome to the Hobcast. It's show number 82. It and is. it is a Harrogate special. And it's super, super <gasps> it mega special this week. Ace. Today's show is Ace. It is. We are currently under one of the many marquees that dot the old Swan Hotel in Harrogate, the home of the Thixton's Crime Writing Festival. In its multi, I don't know how many iterations it's been, but this has been monumentally busy, this one. Uh, and as we'll hear later from the programme director, Denise Mina. They've sold 17,000 tickets for the events here. To this Phenomenal. Year. It's absolutely staggering. So, Including two to us. <laughs> including, well, site passes to us. Uh, we didn't do any of the, the big events, but uh, I'm beginning to kick myself. Some of them sound fantastic. Yes. But, but you just can't do everything. You can't do everything. It's like, you know, Glastonbury, you can't see every act. You just can't do everything. But welcome to the show, because we are, um, you know, at the, the premiere crime writing festival in the world in the world yeah it it badges itself and uh, yes we took site passes here to bring you the hobcast what is the hobcast it is the podcast arm of hobet books and hobet books are uk independent publishers run by us myself adrian hobart and myself rebecca collins and together we publish the following four genres suspense mysteries thrillers crime does that sound more you than You sounded enough? like Malcolm. <laughs> With all due respect to Malcolm, who, who's been here over the festival for, for a bit. Uh, did I really? No. No, I didn't. Not even remotely. I just no, thought I'd wind I, you I up. I was going to say. <laughs> he's got a genuine Yorkshire accent, rather my sort of rubbishy one. No, it wasn't rubbish. It was fairly rubbish. You know, I just have to ask Malcolm, Jonathan Peace, uh, and indeed uh, Anthony Dunford, because they're genuine Yorkshire. They're genuine, yeah. Yeah, they are. And uh, we have had a fabulous weekend. Well, we, we arrived on, on Friday night. We were cross-country. It was a bit of a slog. The M6 was, as usual, playing its tricks. So we, we didn't went... actually go on it, did we? No, that's why we avoided it, because it was um, pretty much static all the way up. So uh, we got here eventually at about half past six to Harrogate and got to the venue probably about quarter to eight, something like yeah, that. Yeah, because we had our dinner first. We did, actually, a bit later than half eight. So it was nice to, to, to recognise so many people. Last year, we were new here. We didn't really know anybody. No. But this year, we were running around hugging everyone. So it was, it was a lovely feeling. Yes, I've hugged a lot of people. You sure have. And it's nice to feel that we're just that little bit more established a year on. People know who we are. And uh, that includes people within the industry, which is terrific. So been a very, very good event. Yeah, but have you noticed that when we get our microphones out, they all scurry for corners? They do. <laughs> well, some run towards them. I mean, one or two sort of, uh, you know, but, but that's authors. I mean, they're, they're introverts, aren't they? Uh, a lot of them. Although, yeah. as you'll hear from our conversations with our three guests in this show, not all of them are introverts. They're kind of introvert plus. In, well, I, th- I think, you know, to say you're either introvert or extrovert, there are two extremes. You can be an introvert with tendencies towards 
extroversy is that or a word an ambivert ambivert of course an ambivert yes is the official term for that well i think that's what probably i am i am as well i'm yeah. an ambivert and, and the nature of one of these things is because we're in sort of not necessarily public display we're, we're here as hobeck but we're here as individuals enjoying ourselves um and meeting people and, and just trying to sort of i don't know make the most of the festival but at the same time we get exhausted so we could probably do three or four hours of the socialising, then we just collapse, don't we? Yeah, it's very difficult, isn't it? Because you you want you feel like you want to get the most out of the time you're here, and you don't want to sit in a hotel room watching telly when you know you you've got all these opportunities to mingle and talk. But you get to a point when you just stare into space because you've got no battery life left in you. So it's Absolutely. difficult. And we were both at this point, we found two deck chairs and we sat on the hill looking Could over the Could have fallen asleep nicely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely right. Look, you know, it was the perfect way. We were, we were sort of involved but not involved. Uh, but actually people found us, which was nice. Yeah, so, so we, yeah some but, of my best memories are actually while we were sat in those two deck chairs. Totally, yeah. totally. And I think last year, you know, I came here on my own for the first night and I was, you know, the absolute classic walking around pretending I was on my phone. Like and your sort of doppelganger. Stuff. Yes, I have a doppelganger who, who comes to these festivals, who's a younger version of me, but has a goatee beard, so it's kind of like um, uh, sort of Hobart mix, mixed with David Brent, really, isn't it? Yeah, he? so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm convinced he's your love child. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he, One he, of the many, no He doubt, looks yeah. like a younger version of you. Yeah. In, uh, yes, but um, not as I was as young. No, 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 not at all. But, but as I am now. As, as you an, are now with the spectacles and the... The old, yeah, <laughs> the, the, the gut. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> the, the ample it, frame. It's funny because although he's the sort of person who you would think would just disappear into the crowd, he mm. actually doesn't. So once you spot him, you can't help but spot him every time he appears. I know, I know. Well, he appears a lot because he walks around. Um, the poor lad, you know, is, is always pretending to be looking for someone. Yeah. But actually he's got no one to find. I think, and then he, he'll, he, like I did last year, you'll go on your phone for a bit, for 20 minutes, but just hold it there and pretend to have a conversation with someone, just so you don't look. It, it, it's, it's a terrible thing to do. Um, I've been there, that was me last year, honestly, the first night I was here, I didn't know a soul, and um, I did by the end of the festival, but I didn't then, no, and, and I just difficult. felt totally lost, and it was, you know, I, I was in that zone where, oh, there's so-and-so, there's, oh, if only I had the courage to go and speak to so-and-so. Uh, and I didn't. And to, when you arrived, that gave me the, that little push over the edge. It's interesting, isn't it? Even though we both feel like that in isolation, mm. and we know the other person feels like that as well, somehow being <laughs> double, we're a it does team. help. We it does are help. a tag team. Yeah, yeah, it works well. We've got more confident with it, absolutely. We found this a little bit at London Book Fair, didn't we, that, that, that it was... Um, it's a difficult environment. It's different from here, where everyone's sort of more relaxed and having a good time, and uh, you know, standing over a drink and whatever. Uh, a thing like LBF, you're having, you know, everyone's got business meetings to get to. Yeah. It's much harder to, to intercept and catch the eye and all that sort of thing. And I think they're more likely to say no there. Absolutely. Uh, I'm just looking across at the main tent, and Abby Mukherjee, former guest, Basim Khan, last week's guest, and Chris Brookmeyer, also two-minute guest, have just walked in. That's what this is oh, like. I can see them. And one of our future guests is on the table very close to us. Yes. Zoe Sharp. I know. Uh, we're speaking to her in the week. We should speak. I mean, <laughs> she's 20 feet from us. We should probably talk to her now. But <laughs> we're going to do it on Zoom uh, as formally arranged. We've been meaning to do this for weeks, but she's a terrific author as well. It's just been 
you know, we have spoken to some great people. Let's get into the first of our interviews, and we can talk more about the festival in a wider sense. Yes. But uh, the first person we caught up with, and we really, I did snare him as he came in through with, <laughs> with his wife, uh, was Mick Heron, who had just won the Theakston's uh, Crime Book of the Novel of the Year uh, award, the, the big one. He'd been nominated five times previous. This time it was his year. And uh, Mick, um, as I'm sure you all know, writes the... Um, uh, the, the, the books, the Soho House books about this uh, dysfunctional spy unit <laughs> on the fringes of the British government and they are brilliant books mm. uh, the prose is fantastic he makes it up as he tells us in their interview you know, this isn't based on you know, his research into the secret services but more based on what office, office life, office life mm. yeah. so it's like <laughs> it sort of meets it's uh, James Bond meets the office um, uh, I guess, or the spooks would be probably more appropriate. Yes. But, but it, they are great. And, of course, they're now an Apple TV series with Gary Oldman in the lead role. So uh, great to speak to Mick. And uh, hearty congratulations. I on have a confession. Mm. I don't know who Gary Oldman is. Gary, oh, well, well, we'll talk offline <laughs> about that. I knew you say, who's Gary Oldman? Uh, I didn't say it during the interview, but no. I was thinking, I don't know who that is. Was he in 2.4 Children? No. Oh, he wasn't the dad in 2.4 Children? No, he no. wasn't. Okay. No. No, Gary Oldman is is one of those great. He's one of the greatest actors of his generation who just uh, mel you know melts into his roles so that you can't. It's very hard to tell you between things that he's almost unrecognisable in each thing he does because he's so good at what he does. Um, But he has been a star since the eighties. What's he been in? Well, you may remember him from um, Prick Up Your Ears. No. In the 80s, which was a film about uh, uh, Joe... Um, God, I can't remember the name of the, uh, the playwright. Joe Orton. Haven't seen it. He was murdered. Alfred Molina's in this film as well, who's his lover, and he gets murdered. He murders Joe Orton. I've Joe heard Or- of Joe Orton. Yeah, so Joe Orton was this was a, was a, was a, uh, a gay write, playwright who wrote scandalously scurrilous plays. Brilliant plays, but nonetheless... Uh, and uh, Prick Up Your Ears was the biopic okay, of, of their generating relationship. He was Commissioner Gordon in the three big Christopher Nolan Batman movies. Nope. Um, he was in Tinker Tailor Soldier Sailor. Nope, I haven't uh, seen that. The film. Well, I'll get... <laughs> Sorry. He is the brother of Mo in... Um, uh, EastEnders. EastEnders. You know, old oh, Mo. Uh, Mo uh, okay, I know who Lay- Mo is. Layla Morse is the actress's name. Oh, so he looks like Mo, but male. Yeah, he's got fairly craggy features, okay. for sure. Certainly nowadays. But, uh, yeah, he's a brilliant actor. He was a great friend of David Bowie's. And um, he led the tribute to David Bowie at the Brits the year that he died. So that was another thing that Gary Oldman has done. But you'll recognise him, I think. But I'll Google say, him later. Anyway, he he is the lead on the the, the adaptation of his of, of Mick Heron's books. And uh, Mick, this is a great interview because for all of us who pine for success, financial success, for um, you know basically acclamation in this publishing industry, here is a guy who is at the top of his game has just won one of the biggest awards in world crime writing, and yet had to wait thirteen years between national newspaper reviews of his books now he's a national treasure but uh, it's taken him a long time to get there let's speak to mick heron we shouldn't we just stop doing this which is just ambushing 
random award-winning authors. Sorry, I couldn't resist it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's my fault. <laughs> but we, uh, we have ambushed for the Hobcast Book Show the wonderful Mick Heron. Thank you so much for joining us. You're very welcome. Glad to be here. Uh, we praise you first in, in Bloody Scotland, then I failed to follow up on that, so that's entirely on, on me. But we get you, uh, what, eight months, no, 12, uh, 10 months later, and it's great to speak to you, especially on a week where you've won the Thigstons. How did that feel? Uh, I still haven't fully processed it, I don't think. My feet haven't touched the ground since Thursday evening. That's yeah. why he's floating. <laughs> it, is, it is something, isn't it, though? I mean, given the sort of the calibre of the people who were up with, with you for the shortlist. It was a wonderful shortlist, and um, we're all friends as well. I mean, mm. we've all known each other for quite a long time. So that makes it... I suppose in some ways it makes it more difficult because, you know, one of us has got to win and the others don't. But I've been on the shortlist before yes. alongside friends and never won before, and it never feels bad. You know, you can always feel happy for the person who won, even if it's not you, I think. I thought it was fantastic that when we spoke to Vasim Khan... Which was last week, actually, wasn't it? Just last it? week yeah. was our preview yeah. show, and, the, you know, we expect to see you carrying a barrel around uh, Harrogate <laughs> above your head, you know, triumphant, and he said... It's not going to be me, it's going to be Mick. So, you know, he was right, yeah. He, we should have put some money on it. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all thought it was going to be one other person, and probably each one of us was expected to win by one, it, it, one other of us. It's probably the right mental approach, isn't it? Because we've been at very recent award ceremonies with our authors, and we've sort of said, it's not going to happen. So, you know, you can put your disappointed face, mm. uh, you know, put the face of, oh, yeah, well done. Uh, but, <laughs> but, but genuinely, if you're all friends, that's, that's great. I mean, this is the thing that comes through at Harrogate, um, and I'm sure that you, you'll bear this out, is just how wonderfully friendly that author community is, probably compared to any other genre. I think you're right. I think there's an awareness in the crime community that, um, as I heard Mark Billingham put it once, uh, a rising tide floats all boats. You know, we don't get envious of other people's successes when they have these massive bestsellers come along. Um, we don't all grind our teeth. We're all aware that new readers are coming into the community because of books that, that reach out in that way. And we all benefit from it in the end. So, yeah, I think we're all aware of that. And we all get on, by and large. And... Um, I mean, the old saying about it is that we get all our, we vent all our rage and frustration on the page. You know, yeah, exactly. Characters, you know, yeah, so yeah. We can be perfectly happy when we're, when we're all together. I'm always surprised then that more publishers aren't bumped off in books. <laughs> <laughs> and editors <laughs> too. <laughs> but uh, in terms of you know psychologically winning that award, how much of a of a spring in the step does it give you going forward with with the books in terms of your writing? Does it does it have an impact like that or? I think it helps in terms of confidence yeah. and, um, I suppose, a sense of, of validation. But by and large, I mean, writing remains the same. You know, you, you start again every day, regardless of what happened yesterday. You're only as good as the work you do on any given day. Um, it, it's a lovely thing to happen, and obviously it helps. There's no downside to it at all. But it doesn't fundamentally alter, you know, the way you go forward and the, and the work and so on. That's all... The same problems are there all the time, and the same joys. I mean, I find it an extremely fulfilling way of life. I feel absolutely extraordinarily lucky to be um, to be at this point in, in my career and enjoying what I do every day. Let's go over that career, if I may. I mean, sure. just asking, you know, in terms of that journey to the point where you are now, how long did it take between, you know, first thinking, right, I'm a writer, to being discovered and being published? Was that a long journey for you? Quite a few years. I don't think I can put in a particular time frame on it, but it must have been about ten years between 
deciding that I was going to focus on writing novels uh, and getting an agent. Mm. Not that I had been trying to get an agent all that time. It was took that long to Have get the to the stage where yeah. I had yeah. something that I could offer to an agent. Um, and then a few more years after that, before a publishing deal arose. And then two years between signing a contract and the book appearing. Mm. It was quite, quite a long gap. Uh, which, so yeah, I mean, a long, long journey. And then another more than ten years before anybody actually started reading anything that I was writing. So it's uh, you know, baby steps all the way, really. Yeah, that, that is one of the things that we, we talk to authors. I mean, one of the advantages of being an independent publisher is we can get their books, people's books to market a little bit quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a corollary to that, which is that, uh, you know, the retailers expect two years' notice of what's coming. Mm-hmm. And that is... A basically a golden rule and one we try to break yes. and it, it doesn't really work for us in that sense but um, what was it like when you first when that first book arrived and people started reacting to it um, presumably you know were you, were you riddled with nerves at that point or were you gratified by the reaction the very first novel mm. there wasn't really reaction to it at all um, I had one review in a national newspaper and that was the last review I had for about it must be 13 years before I had wow. another review in a national newspaper. It was a perfectly nice review. It was good. Um, I had, you know, my, my family members read it. And some friends <laughs> did. And they seemed to like it. But that was it, you know. There was no mobbing in the streets or, or anything. And I didn't see it in bookshops much at all. Um, for the first at least decade of uh, my published career, uh, I was a presence, a bit of a presence in libraries, wasn't seeing paperbacks in shops very much at all, just occasionally. So it was all very, very slow and very low-key. And, um, and it was, you know, personally fulfilling. You know, I knew that I was, I was writing books and they were, you know, appearing on, on my own bookshelf, so if, no, if nowhere I else. think that's quite interesting, isn't it? Because a lot of people do think it's a very quick success, an overnight success or, or an overnight reception. Well, it, it can be, and far more so now than it, than it was 20 years ago. Um, and there are many downsides to that. Publishing has been moving that way for quite a while. Publishers looking for the big debut, and um, yeah. that is is not a good idea for the uh, for the publishing industry at large. I don't think, and certainly not for the writing community. What always used to happen is that writers would be nurtured. You know, you would take on a writer and hope that you know five or six books down the line they were going to really found their feet and be doing really good work. Nowadays, if you're a young writer and it takes you that long to find an audience you've probably been dropped by the time you get to yeah. that stage oh. yeah that's true and um, that's sad isn't it that they don't keep no, the no. faith if they're not immediately successful I mean we were talking to um, a rights agent weren't we and she was saying yes. that there's a lot of publishers now if the first book isn't successful dropped so yeah. it's exactly what you're saying and that's the way it seems to be going in terms of sustaining yourself, though, knowing that you're doing good work, but perhaps not having the validation of the sales or the, 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 the visibility, is that, was that tough, that period? Or did you have that sort of inner resilience that, that carried you through? Or was it the support of agent and, and publisher that supported you through that? Um, I had a supportive agent. Um, no, what carried me through was just the, the work. I mean, I, I write because I'm a writer, ultimately, and I wasn't writing for... Um, any other reason? I mean, I've been told aspiring writers, you know, if you're doing this for the money, forget it. You know, buy a lottery <laughs> ticket. You can have a much better chance of success. You know, yeah. I, I had a, a job. I had a roof over my head. I had food on the table. I didn't have any worries like that. You know, if I were writing to support myself, I'd have starved to death many, many years ago. Um, so I was just happy doing the work and carrying on with, mm. with what I did. 
And everything that's happened in the past, I suppose now, seven years yeah. was totally unexpected. You know, I wouldn't have believed it. Even, even eight years ago, I wouldn't have thought <laughs> I'd be sitting here. Yeah. So take us through that, that, that transition from, you know, uh, enjoying the work and not perhaps having the success you, ex- you would like, but then having success and now monumental, critical and sales and television and all that sort of thing that's come along. How is that to ad- easy? How easy is that to adjust to? Um, well, it, it's odd. I mean, it it happened both very suddenly and, and very slowly mm. at the same time. It's 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 a, a weird thing. You kind of. I found that I knew that things were changing before they started changing. I f- was taken up by um, John Murray Press. Well, like Mark Richards, um, I, who was then publisher there. Um, uh, wanted to publish the books, and uh, it was very clear right from the start that he knew what he was doing, and he was going to make a difference. Yeah. And um, so I sort of knew about that a year or so before there was any kind of tangible um, outcome. Yeah. Outcome of it. Yeah. So it was it, it was all happening slowly. As with the TV, I mean, I um, I, I was looking at diaries lately. I don't actually keep a diary. I was faking a diary for a, for a Waterstones um, piece. Yes. And looking back on emails and things to get dates right. And it was more than eight years between the first meeting with the producer. And at that point there were only two published books in the series. Yes. Uh, and the TV show appearing in April this year. So um, it's it's a long, slow process. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's the old saw about, you know, overnight success taking years. <laughs> we know that, uh, Hobeck authors. Um, and the, Hobeck too. <laughs> yeah, and us, yes, that's, that's absolutely right. Um, and, you know, I've, I've heard you talking about the performance of Gary Oldman. Um, mm. Wow, I mean, <laughs> when he came on board, that must have been an amazing moment. Absolutely, yes. Um, it was something that the producers had been had in mind for a long, long time. They hadn't shared that stuff with me because... By and large, uh, they're very good about this. They only told me stuff when it was 100% nailed on. Yes. They didn't say, oh, it looks like we're going to get, you know, yeah, Gary yeah. on and keep your fingers crossed, because that would have made it all very, very tense and, yeah. and, and awful. So they're very good about sharing information at the right time. <laughs> um, but again, it, it always came with a corollary, you know, we've got Gary Oldman, you can't tell anybody, you know. And, um, <laughs> and that, that sort of thing went, went on and on. So when... I was talking about things happening sort of suddenly and slowly. I mean, when the news of Gary Oldman broke, it was great, and everybody was really, you know, yeah. congratulating me on it. And I'd known for months and months, and I hadn't been able to tell anyone. That must you know. have been quite hard, so, keeping a big secret. <laughs> I'm, I'm okay with that kind of stuff. I, well, I when you get your knighthood, you'll have to do the same thing. So. <laughs> <laughs> How did you know about that? <laughs> I have connections. <laughs> he knows the Queen. <laughs> I think I blew any chance of a knighthood round about Joe Country, frankly. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Um, obviously, I mean, he inhabits that role so brilliantly. Absolutely. And now, I mean, we, we, we were attended a session at uh, London Book Fair where Peter James was talking about how he's now writing with John Sim right. in, yeah. in character as, mm-hmm. as Grace. Uh, is that creeping into your writing now, that you're seeing Gary's face? I'm not sure, because I haven't been writing about Jackson during the time that this show's been broadcast mm. anyway, I wrote Bad Actors knowing that he was in the role, and I'd, I was on set at a time or two, right. mm. and, um, and I'd seen clips. Uh, but I was still, when I write, I'm writing to the voice in my head, not yeah. to any visual image, mm. and I've always been someone who writes you know, to the page rather than trying to put a picture on, onto, um, onto the page. 
I, I don't have much of a, a very visual imagination, I've had. Right, OK. Um, in terms of, you know, the writing process, but, I mean, you always get these questions, I know, so I do <laughs> apologise if it's the thousandth time you've asked, but having read your books and been hugely influenced by just the power of your prose, um, does that spring the, the quality, the rhythm, the, the, the cadence of your writing, the, the art of your writing, is that down there on the first draft or is that, is that a me- mega amount of polishing I thought you were going to say do you do that in the morning or the afternoon <laughs> I was going to say I wish but um, in fact I don't wish I mean there's, there's a lot of work goes into it there's a lot of rewriting it's mostly about taking stuff out right. I mean I write first draft a lot of that is probably in there but a whole load of other stuff is in there as well which has to come out and I'm talking about sentence by sentence paragraph by paragraph but I found that part of it is, is perhaps my favourite part of the writing process the edit the, and yeah, how do you which, know when you've finished? I'm, I'm never finished. I'll just stop at some point and deliver, <laughs> deliver a transcript. Um, and that, that's, that's constant. I mean, I rewrite what I did yesterday before I do what I do today. And then every so often okay. I go back to the beginning of the book and, and, and read through. And it's always a matter of making the prose that much tighter wherever I can, you know, taking the words out. Mm. And I, I have great joy in that. It's a funny process because, you know, first time, you know, when you're doing the, the day's work it's a matter of getting words down onto the page. Yes. But after that, every other part of it is getting the words off the page again and that's <laughs> in many ways more satisfying. But do you feel sad to get rid no, of stuff? No. Killing your babies. Um, I've learned how to deal with that and I was a sub-editor in my um, professional life before I became a full-time writer and I, I learned how to do that then. I mean, that was dealing with other people's prose, which is a lot easier, obviously. But just treating... I, I know how to treat a piece of prose as that rather than as my baby, you know, mm. so, so deleting stuff. Occasionally, I have a, a, a... You know, I think I would like to keep that, but it's wrong here. Sometimes I will keep something and it. use it somewhere else. Mm. You know, if it's a... You know, if I've got a, something I think is quite funny, but it's just not the right place for it, then I can, I can save it. I've had lines that if... Um, being kept over, used in a book, two books down the line, you know, and I couldn't use it at the uh, time that I originally came up with it. In terms of the volume of writing per day, do you have a, set yourself a target? Do you have a, do you set a certain amount of time aside? How does it work for you? I work. I mean, anything that I do get done gets done between nine and five. Mm. Uh, more realistically, it's between ten and four. And <laughs> during that time, there'll be ninety minutes, two hours, where I'm actually doing the work. The rest of the time, I'm reading and I'm thinking and I'm walking and I'm napping. And um, napping is good, yeah, actually. Is I good. think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I do a lot of that. That's because I'm, you know, the work won't get done. It's a huge part of the creative process. Yeah. It, is, yeah. it was Robert Dawes, wasn't it? He said he'll be sitting thinking, and his family will say to him, "What are you doing? You're just sitting. You're not doing anything." And he's I'm writing. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, it's a big part of it. Yeah. yeah. That's what we tell everybody anyway. Yeah. Um, and in, in terms of, I mean, what, obviously with your books, I remember you saying at Bloody Scotland on the stage that uh, people were asking you when they went to the Q&A section about how do you know about spycraft mm. the way you do? And you turn around and say, well, basically, I can't make it up. Mm. <laughs> Have you... Uh, make connections with, with the, the agencies and have they started to steer your work at all or is it still no. That, that? No, I, I, I make it up. I mean, everything I'm drawing on, I draw from in a sense, I draw from experience. But that experience is not having worked in that world. Mm. It's having worked in an office. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that, that's what I'm interested in. It's office politics writ large and it's looking at how organisations operate and just applying all that to the Secret Service, which is an organisation by, staffed by, you know, individuals who have their own motivations, their own agendas. 
Um, I suspect, I firmly hope and believe that the intelligence services are run a lot more efficiently than I pretend they are. I'm viewing them through the prism of a, you know, a political backdrop that is yeah. dysfunctional and just sort of tainting them with the same uh, viewpoint that you know, our, our political system is very obviously not working properly and very obviously has corrupt aspects to it. Absolutely. But how, has it surprised you just how much, you know, because presumably over the last few years, you know, you started off with that, it wasn't quite as dramatically uh, in-your-face corrupt and, frankly, falling apart in front of our eyes it, you know it seems to be life imitating art at the moment in terms of you know the way things have been going in the UK uh, post Brexit I, I, I think you know since 2016 we've been able to see that we were in an ongoing car crash and that's um, and that's very clearly happening um, you know more blatantly than usual over the past um, few weeks uh, whether it's now going to get any better, I doubt in the immediate future, to be honest. We've got an outgoing Prime Minister who's saying, you know, mission mostly accomplished, he said. And we've got inflation running at 10%. We're <laughs> heading into a recession. We've got just disasters going left, right and centre. We've got all these lies and broken promises. You know, 40 hospitals, where are they? £350 million a week for the NHS? Where is that? Yeah. Yeah. He's lied his way to the top, and he's still lying on his way down again. Um, I just hope we've seen the back of him. Well... Yeah. Well, he did say, didn't he, that they're going to have to get the tanks in to get me out. <laughs> it could happen. <laughs> it, might, it feels like it. It feels like it. So, for the future, what have you got planned uh, for, you know, what's coming next for well, fans? Well, lunch, probably. Well, not for that, yeah. <laughs> I'm still full of breakfast. And a breather after this, yeah. <laughs> um, there's a standalone novel that I'm working on. Um, there is, um, and I don't think this has been announced yet, there's a short story which will be published towards the end of the year. You heard it here first. <laughs> uh, not exclusive on the whole cast. That's great. Um, and Harrogate, you go to these festivals. Uh, how does this one rank? Because I always think of it as the Henley or the Glyndebourne of the of the crime <laughs> festival circuit. Oh, should I have worn a hat? You should. Be well, fascinated. You mean, fascinated. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> do, you, do you mean how Harrogate does or how Harrogate twenty twenty two? Well, I, just just in general. I mean, because you know, I, I think that. I get the feeling that some of the other festivals, like Crime Fest, is is really for the for the for the aspiring and the and the, the fans. That's really it's about the craft there. Mm. Here, it's a bit more of a big showcase for the big authors. It, it tends it, to be a, it's a celebration here, and that's yeah. how we get such fantastic visiting writers um, mm. like Michael Connolly this year and, yeah. and John Connolly, indeed. And uh, and that's you know it's, it's a showcase really, which is why it attracts so many readers. Um, but the lovely thing about it is it's readers and writers all together. We're all out there on the same lawn, all at the same bar, True. And all talking to each other. And Using it's, it's the same great... toilet. <laughs> <laughs> or indeed taking comfort in a small room, which echoes terribly on the microphone, but nonetheless... But it's Ma- got nice armchairs. It does. Um, Rebecca, do you have a random... We, we didn't warn you about this, but every interview we ever do, Rebecca always has a random question to, to wrap things up. So. Right, so this, this isn't actually my random question. We put out to our subscribers... Um, choose a random question we'll ask somebody some writer any writer we don't know who yet well, this random question so you are going to get the random question from <laughs> a lady called Wendy Collins and her question is what in the world makes you laugh the most? Jokes <laughs> <laughs> The current front bench <laughs> <laughs> Well yeah we've already discussed that haven't we? <laughs> Uh, what in the world makes me laugh the most? I think it's probably uh, our, our cats. Um, oh, cats are brilliant, yeah, aren't they? Yeah, yeah we've ours. got cats. Not all cats are brilliant. Our, oh. our two cats are. <laughs> I don't care about any other cats at all, frankly. 
Well, we're going to. Uh, we must make a presentation of our cat. Have you got them? Oh, to I hand? do. And there might be a bit of ruffling, though. Ruffling, ruffling, <laughs> right. well, ruffling. This, your reward for facing the random question <laughs> is one of these sought-after cat-faced mugs. Oh, Right. Okay. Sorry, love. It's our business cards. Here we go. Da, da, so, da. Fantastic. Thank you very much. So, you, yeah, you have that prepared, all prepared. How did you know what I was going to say? <laughs> and the, the legend who dunk it on the on the side there. Uh, well, look, Mick, it's been an absolute pleasure, and, and we've been wait, um, looking forward to speak to you at some point. But uh, congratulations again on, on this you. week and for everything that you've achieved over those many years. And it's really, I think, encouraging for our authors and for the listeners to hear that you know it is a question of perseverance, and success comes when it comes. That's right. Thank you. Thank you. Brilliant. I loved that interview. I know we pounced on him. He didn't know what was coming. He loved it. He enjoyed, clearly enjoyed it. And, and there's so much depth to what he was saying. I love the fact that we had someone in common, Mick and Joe and myself. So someone I work with yes. called Alison Owen. They've met through the Writers and Artists Yearbook. I don't, I don't know exact details, but I love that. The publishing world isn't that big. No, it isn't. No, no, it, it's, it's great when you have those sort of connections. So that was terrific. And uh, a little later after that, we went out into the sort of main area. There's the big marquee with the bar and all that sort of thing. And as you'll hear from our next interview, it was pretty noisy. But uh, we persevered and we spoke to one of the stars of this uh, event. He comes every year now. Will Dean. Yes. Now, Will, he's, um, he's an extraordinary character in many ways because he has basically given up the sort of the, the comforts of living in the city moved to Sweden where his, his wife's Swedish and living in a, in, a, in a cabin in the forest which he built himself um, it's quite she, said, she challenged him as, as he'll explain in the interview didn't she yes she did and she he, did. he rose to the challenge absolutely and his books have been massively successful in the last five years and he's or very so. good looking too yeah, there's a lot of ladies who go, oh, he's lovely. Uh, they when, do, Whenever you say, well, Dean, here, there's, there's the, that is the standard response. But as you'll hear, he is lovely. He is lovely, yeah. I just don't see him in that way. But <laughs> he's a good chap. Lovely beard. A good egg. A good egg. Let's speak to Will Dean. Well, it's a huge honour to have Will Dean on the uh, podcast. So, what if you can hear us over the hubbub of Harrogate? I can just about hear you. It's a pleasure to be with you, and it's you know what? It's lovely to hear that hubbub back again. It is because last year you were here. Uh, it was dead quiet, wasn't it? Really, compared to this, it was. It was a nice way to ease ourselves back in, but this is like back to normal. Yeah, you wouldn't actually know COVID happened, would you? Everyone's just like completely relaxed and having a great time. And... It's brilliant, and you know the organisers do such a good job of getting this breeze. Yeah, all in open air tents is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, well, it's Yorkshire, isn't it? <laughs> How many Harrogates have you done now? I think this is my fifth or sixth. My first was 2017 as a reader. Um, and I was blown away by how friendly everyone was. I remember meeting Mark Billingham at the bar. Yeah. Being <laughs> Where <kind> of, else? <laughs> being kind of in awe. Uh, as I've been a reader for so long, and he was so welcoming. And then the next year, weirdly, I was on Val McDermott's new blood panel, which I never expected, so it was a dream come true. So how would you describe that interval, the five years between being on that panel and, and now? What sort of journey that has that been like? Busy. <laughs> yeah. Much busier than I expected. I mean, when my debut came out, I expected maybe a small review in the Lincolnshire Echo or something, and it was a kind of one of those word of mouth things where everybody told each other, which was wonderful. So since well, then, word I've of been mouth bo- is very powerful, isn't it? It is, and it's you, you can't kind of manufacture it. It just happens or it doesn't. So I was just very lucky. And since then, you know, I just focus on the work. So I'm over there in Sweden in a forest, living off grid, trying to 
get better at my craft. That's what I focus on. How's your Swedish? Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see any humans. So I'm in the forest, I'm miles away from any neighbors. And obviously I work there writing, so I don't see any Swedes. If I see people, I'm in London or I'm in New York or I'm in Paris or something. So the Swedish is not good. Is it not a bit like the shining though? Thank you. Don't, don't <laughs> tell my wife that. <laughs> it kind of is, because you, you, you get off like a road and then onto a smaller road, onto a smaller road, deeper and deeper into the woods. You feel like you've taken a wrong turn. And you know you're a long way from safety. Like right now, my well is 97% empty. So if we have a forest fire, there's no fire truck that will find us or be able to get to us. Wow. So it's quite, it's quite scary. Why, why did you make that change then? What was the, the attraction of the wild woods of Sweden? So I think I've always been a hermit. You know, I've always loved nature and reading. And I was a really socially awkward, shy kid living in the Midlands. And then I moved to London when I was 18. And we had 15 years in a tiny one-bedroom little hobble of a flat and I knew we would never be able to afford like a two-bedroom flat in London so I said to my wife who was Swedish how about we try living in the wilderness where it's very cheap we grow our own food and I can write and she was like she looked at me like I was mad and then she said well let's do this deal so you build a cabin and then if six months later I'm happy there we'll stay and if I'm not we'll sell it and move to a town and ten years later we're still there oh, that's good that's good. amazing that is amazing so in terms of your writing, uh, has it created the atmosphere and the ambience that you wanted to be that creative? I hope so. I mean, I think that's up to readers to say yeah, rather than yeah. me. But um, I'm certainly inspired by those that I read, you know. So if I can get close to those masters, then I'm happy. And that's, that's just my life goal, is to hide away in the woods and try and be a kid again. You know, get back yeah. to that time where you didn't know anything about publishing and just focus on the storytelling and think back to those kind of Roald Dahl books, those first Stephen yeah. Kings, and try and recreate some of that magic of stepping into a book and being immersed. You know, like when I was a kid and I went through the back of that wardrobe into Narnia for the first time. Trying to recreate that as an adult. That's, that's what I live for. But do you think that's what, part of what makes a good writer? Someone who can get in touch with their childhood self? I actually do. I, don't, I talk about this quite a lot. People look at me weird. Like, why, are you, why are you talking about being a kid? But that's when you're not thinking about how it will sell, if you look clever, if people think you're a good writer. Like, you've got to put all that out of your head, I think, and mm. just focus on the storytelling mm. and read a lot. I mean, that's what I try and do. I'm very inspired by Cormac McCarthy. He's over yeah. in the Santa Fe Institute in New Mexico, and he's a genius. Yeah, and oh, he, absolutely, yeah. And he's very old now, and he's still working on his craft. Mm, yeah, and yeah. now you've built these relationships over those years, coming to places like Harrogate, are there contemporaries of yours that you take advice from or, you know, use as a sounding board? I'll take advice from anyone. Um, <laughs> Don't <laughs> I mean, mind <mom> scissors. <laughs> I just have a huge amount of respect for the writers, uh, both the experienced writers, you know, listening to Val, listening to Ian, uh, listening to Anne Cleves, but also listening to the debuts. I still have a lot of lot to learn from them. So I just try and read as much as I can. That's how I learn. You know, it's also talking to each other in the bar and sharing war stories. But yeah, the main sure. thing, the main thing I think is, you know, reading Mick Heron's new book and just taking it in and hoping you can do better. Yeah. And where do you think over those recent books or the, 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 the books you've written, you have improved? What, what areas do you think get better each time? Again, difficult for me to say. Yeah, you know, I know. It I feels know, a bit asking, awkward. You know, I don't... Authors are always naturally, I mean, one or two are very out there and push themselves forward. It doesn't strike me that many of the people here are like that. 
but I think you have, you'll have, an, eye, you'll have an eye on where you're seeing an improvement, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, with the Tuba Moody song books, I think I'm getting a much stronger sense of who Tuba really is, her characters coming yeah. through, and I love the fact that, you know, I'll write 20 Tuba Moody song books, and I'll get to know her even better. And I'll probably never fully understand her, but I'll know her better. With The Last Thing to Burn, that was a real challenge. Yeah. Writing out of my comfort zone, writing a really short book, it's 65,000 words. It shouldn't be published, you know, it's so short. <laughs> But people have really taken to it. And, and with Firstborn, that was my first really twisty book, where I turned the whole world upside down. So I'd like to kind of step out of my comfort zone and, and give it a go. Do your characters talk to you? Some of our authors say that. They say the characters direct the story sometimes and say, I wouldn't do that. This is what I would do in that situation. Do you have that? I, mean, I, f- I find that a bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> the characters certainly are the center of my stories. That's where I start. I start with a character and a landscape, a particular place. But I'm in control of it. Okay. They sometimes surprise me a little bit, but I know kind of where it's going. Do you plot then, or are you pantsing, or a mix? I'm unusual in that I do a kind of a mix. I, I visualise, so I don't write anything okay. down. Yeah. But I can't just like step up on day one and write a book. I can't do that. But I, I spend about six months visualising the scenes, yes. understanding my main character. I drive my truck through the woods and I talk in the voice of my characters to try and hear them, try and understand them. And then on day one, when I sit down, I know roughly what the story's going to be, and I, I kind of I know my characters quite well. And that gives me the confidence to begin. You know? yeah. yeah. I yeah. think you should video yourself doing that. That sounds fascinating. I would. Hate to do that. <laughs> it might have to be a time lapse, you know, just, just <laughs> it'd be so dull. The environment down. moving around you, but you're completely still, and then style. Poems I think my cabin. agent would save me from that. <laughs> it'd be a career ending. I'm, I'm always intrigued because of that isolation. Coming back to an environment which is quite as frenetic and busy and noisy as this, and it's the publishing industry as well, uh, which is its own thing, which people outside it don't really understand that there are a lot of friendships here but there is also oh it's so and so they screw me over and this that and the other there's a bit of that going on particularly between you know agents and publishers and all this sort of stuff. do you do you find that hard to adjust to or you just click back into it i think i'm protected from all of that I, yeah i'm clueless <laughs> as to all the politics between publishers and agents everyone's just lovely you know yeah. just, uh, me and my fellow writers we hide away for 11 and a half months of the year. And then you so, come out. Yeah, we go out and have a beer and get to see each other. It's wonderful. So I don't I don't see any downside myself. Um, there's probably stuff going on that I just don't notice. Yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of recent books that have come out, you mentioned Mick. Um, what else has really got you thinking or challenged you to try something different? that's been published recently do you think good question I mean I'm so happy for Mick first of all for winning yeah, this absolutely, year yeah. this was his year and he's the loveliest man so mm. I'm delighted for him brilliant author um, S.A. Cosby American author he wrote Blacktop Wasteland and then Razorblade Tears the kind of southern rural raw gothic and his, yeah, his use of language is extraordinary so I'm a big fan I, he's doing very well especially in the US and I think he's coming to the UK this summer, actually. He's brilliant. Oh, well, hunt him down. Or, or, or you should, you should. He's a, he's a good talker. Uh, and in terms of, you know, going forward, you say, you know, you, you think you'll have 20 books to explore the character. When you embark on a, you know, it's evolved into a series, I presume. I mean, no one, everyone always says, yeah, I'll get the first one done. And it'd be lovely if they want book two. And here you are, multiple books later. Uh, do you have any regrets in the way you took the character in the first place or do you feel confident that you can take them in a different direction and, and keep them fresh? 
I, I mean, I can I can take them in certain directions if it's organic, you know, if it feels yeah. natural. And I know her well enough now because a lot of my knowledge of her is not even on the page yet. Right. So I feel like she is kind of in the driving seat. And she wouldn't want me to be thinking of her the rest of the year, I don't think. <laughs> Tuva would be like, who's this boring 43-year-old yeah. dude? So she's a challenge to write because she's, she's not me. She's very much not me. I fell into that trap of writing my first book and a protagonist who was me but like five centimeters taller <laughs> and he was very dull so now uh, Tuva was a reaction to that like she's very different and she keeps me on my toes I'm, I'm always learning with her fantastic fantastic have you a random question I do have a random question so <laughs> we don't know you don't know about this every podcast we ask a random question about anything so my random question is based on uh, what happened this week by Middleton the 16 he went to his first party with friends and he drank alcohol, like properly for the first time. So my question to you is, what was the first alcoholic drink that got you drunk, and have you drunk it since? That's a great question. <laughs> I've never been answered the, asked this before. Uh, it was so it was a barbecue of family friends. This is a disgusting answer. But <laughs> I was working. I was trying, trying to get some money. I think it was a Saturday or something. I was probably 15, 14 or 15, and I went around at the end with another guy, and we drank the bottoms, like the dregs of everyone's glasses. I've done that. I've done oh, you that, have? Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad yeah. it's not just me. No, no, I, I, I did that as a two-year-old, I'm told. Oh, wow. <laughs> you, were, you were very early. Well, yeah, I mean, I, we used to go to these barbecues, my dad's boss, and I would crawl out of the garden, out of the hedges, when people put their glasses down on the grass, and drink the contents, and then disappear again. Uh, and I was absolutely... Some responsible parents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Truly, uh, yeah. My parents were those Cambridge academics. Yeah, well, if they're, not, if they're still breathing, it's fine. You know, that kind of approach <laughs> to, to, to bringing me up. It's so. probably healthy. Yeah, I yeah. Think so. still I think alive, so. so yeah. It's yeah. Fine. But Will, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you. What's what's next for? What can readers look out for from you? So we have Tuva number five coming out this autumn. It's called Wolfpack, and it's set in a kind of prepper community, a survivalist community in Sweden. Uh, just after the last snows and then next year I've got a, a new standalone coming out and I'll tell you the premise really quickly it's a, it's a woman who's 50 years old she's from Doncaster and she goes on her first kind of cruise like a, on an ocean liner across the Atlantic yeah. and she goes with her new kind of boyfriend her new partner and they have a nice evening on the boat and they have dinner and they kind of had an argument a little bit of friction a little bit of tension they go to their cabin go to bed she wakes up he's gone she goes to the balcony in the bathroom in the cabin, he's not there. She steps outside, all the other cabin doors are open. She walks through the ship and she's the only person left on board. That's quite creepy. That's, that's a good so one. Cool. That could happen to us, I'm 50. <laughs> that's, just, that's like one of your dreams, isn't it? <laughs> that's brilliant. What a great concept. So well, talking of The Shining, it's kind of The Shining. Yeah, 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 on sea, yeah. Fantastic. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to meet you and, and thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thank you so much for having thank me. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. You've, you've, you've gone a funny colour. You're, no, you're, you're blushing. No, I'm, listening to Will. What I'm fascinated by um, behind your shoulder, they are doing the clear up oh, already, yes. and it's it's making me feel a little bit sad. They're taking yeah. all the banners down, picking up the rubbish. Yeah, <laughs> it's a bit like after a wedding. You know, yeah. the, the day after when you start clearing up all the clutter that's been left at you know two in the morning or whatever, um, it is very much like that. That sort of calming down things. There's a sort of mellow quality to. Um, everybody here i actually i like the sunday atmosphere much better so yeah I'm it's it yeah it's it's much more conducive to just being relaxed and have a nice conversation there's only probably about a couple of hundred people left uh within the view that we've got at the moment as I say some of the authors are still here you know they're chilling and um 
a lot of the, the sort of people we've been speaking to, a lot of the bloggers are still around. But yeah, I, I think it's one of those things where if it's your highlight of the year, you don't want to let it go. No. It's like when Wimbledon ends. I mean, that's that feels like a bereavement every yeah. year, I think. Well, I'm terrible. I get post-holiday, post-Harrogate, post-anything blues, don't I? Well, you do. I get post-lunch blues sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you do. You do. Yeah, you can't... You, you know. I do actually cry sometimes when but something's it's finished. It's funny because you, you sometimes you dread... Oh gosh, I'm really nervous about going to. And then once you've settled in, you can't bear to leave. So absolutely, you've got me nailed down there. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's the same. Look, dare I say it, the boys won't be listening to this. But sometimes, you know, you've had a couple of weeks with them, you know, under our feet, and you you can't wait for them to leave. And ten minutes after they've gotten it, it's like I want them back. Yes, true. That totally true. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just don't want them there at all. No, I mean that's not true. That's not true at all. Um, it, we're going into the summer holidays as we come out of this Harrogate, so that is always a challenge um, for every parent. How do you keep your kids entertained? Well, mine don't need entertaining really. I'm lucky that you, they don't expect it. So no, they don't. They've been conditioned not to expect any entertainment. But <laughs> we will. We will be doing. We're going on holiday. Um, we'll tell you more about that. Uh, at the beginning of August, uh, we'll continue to do the podcast. I was going to say we're going to have a podcast from at least our bit. Yeah, oh, absolutely our bit. But we can yeah. probably find a Devonian crime author to go and visit. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, which we should do in, the, in North in North um, Devon, which is an area I don't know at all. I mean, we went to Exeter, which is southeast Devon-ish. Mm. Devon's massive, so, though, isn't it? It is a huge county. It's the second largest county in the country. Uh, after you know what was Yorkshire as a whole, mm-hmm. um, and uh, yeah, it is a it's a huge geographical patch, and then you add Cornwall in its coastline, the long you know the longest stretch of coastline in the country. It's um, it's quite something. So we're looking forward to that. But then we, we're digressing. We're, we're here in Harrogate, celebrating <laughs> all things crime, and this year's program director was Denise Mina. Now she is Dame Denise Mina. No, we didn't realise that when we were speaking to her. I would have... Do you have to say that in a deep voice? I don't know. I don't <laughs> know. I used the deep voice a fair bit when we were speaking to her, but she was absolutely delightful. So she was a programme director, which is uh, you know essentially she sets the tone for this thing. She sets up the uh, has a really strong influence on how the panels are constructed, what topics they're going to talk about. And as she says in this interview, she did try to bring in. Um, you know, to spruce things up a bit in terms of diversity and, uh, you know, a, 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 a wider set of topics and indeed contributors. But as she also concedes, you know, there's some way to go yet at Harrogate yeah. because Harrogate can command some of the biggest names in world writing every year. And why would they need, when they've sold 17,000 tickets, to change the formula? But at the same time, there's a large number of people here who are at the vanguard of what we do, independent publishing, and it's not really reflected at an event like this. Much more so at Crimefest is, is, is supported, and I think Bloody Scotland too, but nonetheless, uh, Harrogate is, I suppose, uh, I've described it as the Glindbourne or the Henley of crime festivals, but there, there is some work to go. But we'll, we'll talk to Denise. So Denise um, spoke to us on the Sunday morning as well. Oh, well, just now. Just now, really. <laughs> uh, just before she packed up and left. Um, but uh, I think she was uh, very satisfied with the efforts and the way that this festival had gone. Here's Denise Mina. It's such a pleasure to bring our Harrogate experience to an end this year with the programme director. Denise Mina, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. What is it like building up to an event like this? What's the responsibility level when you're 
the programme director and inviting people here? Well, it's pretty nerve-wracking, actually, because, I mean, my big thing was I wanted it to be quite a diverse programme. And, uh, and, you know, I mean, that can be quite boring for people to have to consider, but actually the, the audience response has been amazing. And uh, we've, we've sold 17,000 tickets, which is more tickets than they've ever sold. Wow. Unbelievable, really unbelievable. And I'd like to think that's because of my programming, but I think it's just because we're all excited because we're back together. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I think I think there is a real buzz at the festival this year, and it's because it feels very free. We're all grateful, actually. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? We're all really grateful to be back on form and to be back at full power. And uh, so it's nerve-wracking because mm. you don't know if people are going to respond to the stuff that you've you've picked to put on. But um, it's it's I can't believe how well it's gone. Who? <laughs> Which are uh, the, the, the events or the, the, the particular uh, programme events do you feel proudest of this year? Um, I know there are a lot of writers in the audience and I'm most proud of... First of all, I got to interview Linda LaPlante, which was that was, as the finale and that was great. But I'm most proud of um, it's a long walk, not a short hop, because I think a lot of young writers think mm. if their first book doesn't sell millions they're not going to have a career and actually that's not really what being a writer is about it's about keeping going during the discouraging times and the the people who were on that panel were so honest about the difficulties of keeping going and the difficulties of being a writer and actually you know the self-questioning that comes with that because it's not comfortable mm. i mean when you see writers portrayed they're always swinging a cape over their shoulder and throwing a fedora <laughs> and you know then their young wife comes around mostly it's shambling about in pajamas getting fatter and that, yeah. is, that is the job of yes. a writer it's not glamorous. No, and that's a very important message. I think it's really important, and I think Mick Heron put it best when yes. he said there's writing and then there's authoring, which is being a, a public-facing figure. They're very different roles. Some people are great at authoring and awful at writing. Some people are brilliant at writing and bad at authoring, but you can learn how to author. Mm. Yes. You can really learn how to do that. So Mick didn't do any promotion when he first started. Then he started, to, and he's amazing at it now. Yes, he is. You know, and uh, and I think that's really important because I think sometimes people don't want to write because they think I won't be able to get up and talk about stuff in front of loads of people, and um, uh, you know, and I'm quite shy. We're all quite shy people, yeah, but yeah. you can learn that stuff. So I that's, think it's actually quite common, isn't it, for writers to be introverted? Yes. And yes. so they have to put on that extrovert element in their personality yeah. for places like this. Yeah. But then they can go back and introvert for a while, can't That's they? That's right, we can go back to our cave. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think what's interesting, isn't it, that, that when you've got a panel together, you don't quite know what the alchemy is going to be like between the different personalities. Now, there was a, a little bit of word about one of the personalities yesterday who took... Uh, barged away across everyone else, um, dare I say. We're going to invite her onto the programme, so uh, we'll we'll ask her about that when when she comes on uh, in a few weeks' time. But um, nonetheless, uh, we noticed this at Crimefest as well in Bristol. You know, sometimes best intentions doesn't quite, you know, doesn't stay on message or it goes goes off in in, in different directions. I mean, that's always a... That must be a concern for you when you're putting, you know, you're trying to figure out who's going to fit together well and interact well. And also, you need quite a strict chair, Mm. you know, and and sometimes a strict chair just isn't enough. And it is exhausting. You've got four people there trying to make sure everybody gets a chance to speak. Um, If one person's quite reserved and another person's bonkers <laughs> or, or you know not bonkers but maybe having a bad day because sometimes we have conversations in the green room and someone's like my mum's in hospital and then you get on stage and they don't say much because everybody's got stuff yeah. going on yeah. yes. do you know what I mean so people have all got stuff going on and you have to um, you have to kind of humanise it and you have to say also it's quite hard to get up there mm. Mm. 
it is hard to get up there. And then, I mean, I've done it when you, you're on stage and you think I'm coming over quite badly and then suddenly you find yourself making it much worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like that, like that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But on the opposite, like there must be times where you, you go up and you're nervous, you've got things going on, and then you just think, I'm just going to wing it and see what happens, and you have a, you know, almost better, more positive experience than you expected to. Well, I think if you've been at the festival, if you've been hanging around the festival, you know the audience a little bit. So you're kind of talking to friends, mm-hmm. so it doesn't feel as stagey. If you just come in for the event, that's very hard to do. Yes. But if you've been here for a few days, which a lot of the people on that panel had been, that's such an advantage. Because you've already met people and you already know who you're speaking to, but sometimes people get nervous on stage and they act in ways that are out of character sometimes. When you were reaching out to the international stars that have been over, Michael Connolly, Kathy Wright, people like that, um, Tess Gerritsen, I mean... Is that difficult to get them over, or is the Harrogate reputation so strong it's like, you know, Glastonbury inviting someone over? Um, I think now, because it's getting so big and it's so established, I mean, it is the biggest festival of its kind in the world. Mm. So I don't think there's going to be any problem getting people. Michael Connolly and Cathy Reich were already booked to right. be special guests, but couldn't... Um, couldn't do last year. Couldn't do last year. Yeah. Course, or the year yeah. before, even. Mm. So, I mean, I did inherit an absolutely, you know, Stella a superstar cast, lineup. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so I can't take credit for that. But, I mean, I don't think they'll have any problem getting anybody to Harrogate now. Yeah, you know? absolutely. I mean, one thing that we've, you know, from an independent publisher's point of view, quite a small one, you know, watching the... Uh, clearly, this is a, a playground for bigger publishers in, in many ways. Do you think there's scope, despite the fact you've sold 17,000 tickets, which is great, for a fringe, for, you know, perhaps some of the people that you see around here on their third or fourth book to have perhaps the brown tent which is halfway up as a, as a, as a venue? Well I, I mean I think one of the things I love about Harrogate is the events are not overlapping right. do you know what I mean? Yes. I wouldn't like to see a fringe, I would like to see that as a smaller event at a different time uh-huh. but I think we need to really expand who we're taking in because we're not really including self-published people until they're published it, it's old fashioned, things are changing so fundamentally mm. and so quickly quite often you meet people so we have got we are we are inviting people who are self-published next year great and uh you know we are inviting we do try to support smaller publishers Mm. but i I think it's really important that it doesn't become the main thing and then a fringe in like doing events in off-site yeah do you know what i mean i think it's really important that we're all together okay you know yeah but it just takes it just takes a while for us to publishing is it's, it's, it's tectonic. Yes, it is. <laughs> you know yes, I mean? right. And, you know what I mean. And so it, you know, it's quite difficult for us all to keep up. And there is a bit of resentment. It's like, are you published? You're self-published. Oh, you've sold two hundred thousand. Co- oh, well, okay, you probably are published then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? And there's there are, definitely that perception. Isn't there is there? that yeah, perception. Yeah. You know, and uh, um, and you know, or you know, I mean, there's there's lots, of, or, or or even people who are just publishing online. Mm. You know, I mean. It takes us a while to catch up, but personally, I would like to see us all incorporated together. Yes. Rather than have the, the main thing of the, the John stodgy Peel stage. old dinosaurs <laughs> and then a John Peel stage. Yeah. 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 Because the thing about the John Peel stage is there's stuff on when there's big acts on. Yeah, so you, you have say, to well, make they the shouldn't decision. be competing because mm. it's not the same thing. So it's like apples and eggs. You know, you're not comparing things together. But I would lo- I would really like to see that. I think it might. I can see it being extended time-wise. I can see, you know, um, smaller events for things that you know for smaller uh, for yeah. people who are published in different ways. And you know, I think the craft day was was great this year. Brilliant. It, yeah, on the yeah. Thursday. So the building up to the 
to the award, but nonetheless, there was a, there was a, you know a very strong focus to be here. For a lot of the people here are unpublished or yeah. aspirant writers or published. Oh, published indeed. Or published, yeah, and they absolutely. just come to the festival because it's a way to hang out with your pals. You know? uh, yeah, I mean that's a common thing we hear, isn't it? You know, people who haven't seen each other for a year because they live all over the country yeah. or even all over the world, yeah. and that this is their sort of focus of the year to meet up again. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> isn't that amazing? Though? I love it. Yeah, Do you know, I can see this becoming enormous. I can see this becoming the Edinburgh Festival. But we we are here in the golden age, and it will go on for about another five years. And we should really treasure that. Mm. Yeah. Do you know what absolutely. I mean? Because I mean, at force of numbers, the amount of money. It does reach a stage where it's just uncontainable, but this this is the golden age, and we should all appreciate that while we're here. Absolutely. In terms of the impact of, you know, the commitment you've put into an event like this this year, does that get in the way of the day job? Well, I think doing all these other things really adds to the day job. Um, and also, I think when you reach a certain level in your career, you do owe an obligation, because I used to swan into things like this when I was first published, you do have an obligation to pay back. Mm. And, you know, crime writing could be a forgotten kind of side, dirty little story, but it isn't because of people putting in the effort to do things like this. This was set up by Jane Gregory and Val McDermott back in the day. Yes. And the reason they did that was because they wanted crime fiction to be centre. And, and we were not being invited to crime festivals at that time. No. Mm. Crime writers were never invited to literary festivals. No, it was all very no, 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 no. So they said, let's set up our own and celebrate this and discuss the art and, and bring up new writers. And, uh, you know, uh, so you do have an obligation to give back, I think. And that's that movement has spread now with the likes of Crime Fest and Bloody Scotland being. But there's so many little there's ones not, as well. Yeah, yeah, so we went to Slaughter in Southwold. You did, uh, did you? Did you? Slaughter in Southwold. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic, that's great. Yeah, and it's great to see, you know, the, the likes of uh, uh, William, you know, Shaw coming to, to an event like that and, and, and uh, you know, and taking the. Uh, the year before. Absolutely. Yeah, so Val's been yeah. There, well, you have yeah. the bacon butty slot on the Sunday and I then did. you were followed by William Shaw, so that's, yeah. not, that's not bad. <laughs> I mean, we were in the alphabet together, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but it's it you know I, I think that um, the great thing is I just observing how people are this morning this is the the the, the the, the sort of uh, the morning after the storm. But do you know uh, what? I really like the Sunday the... atmosphere. I, I love, love it. it. Yeah, yeah, this is this is it's that sort of tired time. but happy, but yeah. that's what off I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> the smiles of everybody yeah. leaving this venue have been, you know, they're wreathed in smiles and en- and re-energized. So I mean, that's credit to you and, and to everybody who works on the committee and and, and it the organisers. It's an amazing atmosphere this year, isn't it? I'm yeah, not it imagining it. I'm no, like, you're not. No, 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 it is absolutely no. lovely. Really positive. I think a lot of writers are coming away from this feeling really jazzed about their work, really energised. They've made met friends. They've seen stuff. They're really kind of, you know, honouring their work. Mm. And uh, uh, yeah, it's just it is a brilliant atmosphere. And then you've got, you know, in terms of the party MC in Mark Billingham. I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, Mark and Steve Mosby. I have to yeah. say, I'm not being self depreciating. They do all the work. Yeah. I really don't do that much work. I just come in and say, can we have uh, some woke panels? Uh, and uh, and can we have Linda LaPlante and so and so and so and so? But apart from that, they are the ones doing all the work because a lot of people dropped out because of COVID, yeah, yes. yeah, uh, or trains or travel or whatever, and they're the ones doing all the reshuffling and all that kind of thing. And I'm getting the credit. Yeah. Well, <laughs> last year, of course, it got wrecked by you know Luca Vesta had to come off off the, the panel at last minute, and people were standing in for him as an, as, a, as a panel chair, you know, with like half an hour's notice yeah. and and that sort of thing. So. 
Um, I mean, last year I felt that because it was smaller, or clearly there were, you know, there was half the, the, the ticket sales in terms of keeping the numbers down and trying to keep some spacing. Yeah. But the other thing was people were feeling, I mean, the, 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 it was just the simple fact that you couldn't walk up to somebody, tap them on the shoulder and say hi. Yeah. Um, you know, in the way that you can, or you, people are feeling more relaxed about yeah, that. Yeah, there was yeah. cautious and cautiousness wasn't the last. There was day. a very strong a pole, sense. Of, a pole of fear, let's call yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, there was a pole of fear. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and we're it, hugging everybody. Like, I don't know if that's. A, I think this might be a super spreader <laughs> event. I don't know if that, well, this is particularly I'll safe. You, but I'll working. give you. I'll give you the, the the big one was London Book Fair. That was absolutely. We all we, we all both came got away. COVID from yeah, London Book Fair. Yeah. I know a lot of people who got COVID from London Book Fair. Somebody went and they shouldn't have gone. Yeah. I know a lot of people who got it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think we're going to rush back for that for that reason alone. I mean, you know, you've got 20,000 people squeezed into Olympia. It's just uh, yeah. you know, a nightmare. But uh, in terms of your own work, what's what's coming next? What, what can we look uh, forward to? Well, this evening, and I know you're all very excited about this, I have a five-part um, radio uh, story on Radio 4 about Savonarola and oh, the Republican okay. Revolution in mm. Venice. Uh, but the first one was on last week. It's called Three Fires. Uh, the second one's on tonight, but you have to wait till there's been three or four, you know yourself, yes. so that people can binge it and get into the story. Yes, yeah. um, so that's pretty great, and that's going to be a book later in the year. Brilliant. And uh, and I've um, just launched my book, Confidence, and uh, and I'm writing another two books, and uh, just onwards and upwards. Really. You're yeah. a very, very busy lady. Very busy. Well, <laughs> one thing, I was, uh, we can't let you go without asking, A, a random question, but B, the craft <laughs> question, which everyone always asks, but in terms of, you know, we... People always want to know how successful authors, what their word target is a day, how they work, what time they work. Because we were talking to Anne Cleves at, at, at Crime Fest, and she's up at 5.30 in the morning sure. religiously wow. to do that, and she gets it done by about 10 o'clock. And then uh, she might come back and revise after walking the dog or whatever it might be. But uh, what's your... What's your uh... It's a bit more shambly than that. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it, because ours is totally shambly. Yeah. <laughs> I just write whenever I can. I mean, if you've got family and you've got obligations, Absolutely, I mean, yeah. kids don't care that you haven't met your word count. No, if they want their dinner now, they want well, their dinner now. Well, if you get now. them out to school, do you know what I mean? I like the idea of getting... But I think Anne probably gets up at half five because she's got loads to do and that's a quiet time. Um, so, really, I just work whenever I can and I sort of set myself a word count for the week yeah. and I fail every week yeah. and just fail better, Decade yeah. said, so... Fantastic. Yeah, I like that, yeah. It's reassuring. Yeah. OK, well, I, I haven't done the deep voice bit on this trip, so I'm going to do it now for the Rebecca's Random Question. OK, okay. you ready? Rebecca's Random Question. Okay, so this question was actually suggested by one of our authors, so thanks to Karina Swan for this question. So, Because I, I, I started to run out of ideas, so I put it out to our subscribers to think of some. So her question for you is, if you could swap bodies with anybody for 24 hours, who would it be and why? <laughs> That's a cracker. It would be The Rock. Oh, oh the yeah, rock. <laughs> now you're talking. I've thought about this. Yeah. You sadly, have, very sadly. You would be Dwayne Johnson. It'd be Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> Because I wouldn't want to stay in his body because I know he suffers from depression and I think it's because he's been taking steroids. I don't know. Uh, but uh, I just would love to be very tall. I'm incredibly short. <laughs> I'd love to be very tall and very strong. And it would be the day when he doesn't work out. It would be the one day when he... Because there must yeah. be one day when he doesn't work but out. But wouldn't you just spend the day feeling all your muscles and go, oh, look at me? I would just... I would honestly start a fire from rubbing my tummy. <laughs> I'd be so happy. And uh, just, I just want about being buff. It would be amazing to actually be that buff. Well, when you follow him on Instagram or on Twitter, I mean, he just has... 
Uh, he has his Iron Palace. He takes everywhere. So when he's in, on, you know, say he's in location at Pinewood, oh, you break or something, my heart now. He, he must be on plane sometimes. Well, sometimes, but uh, he has the, has a marquee which he takes around with him with all the equipment, oh. and it gets shipped over. If he's doing a six-week shoot, it'll be over. So he's doing that to get that buffed body. Right. He has to have one day. But off. I, I, I can just see you doing the whole rock thing. So it would be <laughs> finally. He's so great. <laughs> Denise Mina is back in Harrogate. But you do realise the rock is in your body. <laughs> oh my god! Can you imagine? Can you imagine his little eyes when he gets back in his own body? Can you do the, the eyebrow? Horror. The thing is, he'd be lost without his eyebrow raised, wouldn't he? And I can't do it myself. But yeah, you but can. I've got it. Fine. I have oh, I love that. I love that. Great. I think he's brilliant. Yeah, I do. And he's going to stand for election and be. And it's going to turn out that he's a reactionary fascist nut job, isn't it? <laughs> I, I, yeah. Probably, probably. Well, like most of the WWE universe, that's true. But I actually got spent some time with him. Did you? Yes, yes, many years ago. Tell me he's nice. He's really nice. Is he? He is, he really is. So this was uh, nine, uh, 2000, uh, at the height of the Stone Cold Rock yeah. Undertaker kind of period. And I went on tour with the WWF, as it was then, um, in this country. No, <laughs> well, that's a, that's a whole different legal story. But... Um, yeah, so I went on tour with them because they were about to launch the XFL, which was their uh, failed own, American yeah. football league, which is now being relaunched by The Rock. Uh, he's, he's got the rights to it. But the thing was, I went around with them to sort of figure out whether wrestling philosophy and entertainment and values and all that stuff would work right. in a tr- more traditional sport. And I got to spend... had two interviews with The Rock, and the first one was as Dwayne, loveliest man ever. The second was as The Rock... And he would say things like, you know, what's your name again? It doesn't matter what your name is and all that stuff. You know, he did all the sort of, you Rudy poo yeah. candy ass. <laughs> so you'd have to practice all that, wouldn't you? I'd do that. Yeah. <laughs> Denise says, you know, <laughs> know your role and all that but, sort of thing. But, you know, as, as a, a, coming from where I come from, I would then have to apologise a lot. Yeah, so course. that would take up half the day. You know, I'll have your candy ass. Sorry about that. Yeah, no, that's fine. We, we, I've done it right. That's twice now. Are you all right with me saying this? Of course. You're all right. You're not you're frightened. Jabroni. You're not frightened. No, no, not at all. No, no, no. But you know, you are. Yeah, you're, you're a presence. You know, as the rock, you would really be a presence. I would. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. People like the pebble. You I think, run your I mouth. Tried. You know, <laughs> Rankin. You run your mouth about my you know, that sort of thing. You know, Brookmeyer. I'm calling your ass out from the back. That kind of thing. Yeah, I'd love to see that. I'd love to Maybe see that. Maybe next year at Harrogate. Uh, you, oh, you yeah. and Val. You and Val in a, a tag team. Yes. Who would you take on from the? Author community, if you had a tag team with, with Val, I'd, oh, I'd, 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 that's I'd... quite a hard question. <laughs> I think Luca Vesti, because he does, he was a boxer. Was he? Yeah, Luca's done everything. Yeah, <laughs> Luca was a boxer. He played football. He was in a bat. I mean, every every career. Yeah. That uh, that you can that is very hard to make it, and Luca's done it. Librarian. And he became a writer by accident. <laughs> I think Will. Dean would be good because he would be that you know that baby face who sort of preens himself a little bit. Do you think? No, gold no. gold speedos. You're thinking no because no. they could grab his hair. You see? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. See, that's it's a weakness. Weak yeah. I so never weak ever thought that we would be talking <laughs> to Denise Miner about the rock wrestling and whether Will Dean would make you know someone great Sorry, in, in, in gold gold lame speedos, but. There you go. This is the way this podcast oh, always goes. I wish I didn't have a visual mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I, just, I can't put that away now. But I think that's where we, we should leave it. Thank you so much for joining yeah, us on the podcast. Thank you, I'm delighted. Thank, thank you so you. much. Thank oh, you. Our pleasure, truly. 
Well, I'd like to thank Karina Swan for asking the question uh, and giving it to us for the random question because that is one of the best answers we've ever had. And I knew I who think. The Rock was. You do, because I... Because of you. <laughs> I'm obsessed with The it Rock. It actually wasn't that long ago when I said, who's The Rock? But I do know now. You know, well, you call him... The Pebble. The Pebble. <laughs> yeah, just to diminish... You just know, to annoy you. The world's highest paid entertainer. <laughs> um, but... Uh, yeah, he's a, he's, a, he's a hero of mine. And, you know, having had a chance to spend some time with him much earlier in his career before he became a major film star, I can vouch for the fact he's a genuine bloke. Really is. Well, he looks like a bloke. Well, <laughs> as opposed yeah. to a fake bloke. Yeah, as opposed to a fake bloke. But anyway, look, um, it was, it was, Denise, it was great to wrap up our coverage of Harrogate with someone who's influenced this year's event to such an extent. And I think she summed up the spirit of how it's come across this year. I think it really has been a joyful occasion. I think there yeah. really is a genuine warmth to it. And I think that... Um, I think what's noticeable, actually, is that, yes, the authors know what they're going to get here, which is they're going to be accessible. Most of them, at least. I mean, some of them came in and sort of did parachute visits. Yeah, they're very busy people, though, a lot of them, aren't they? But yeah, they, they just... are. They have, I mean, you know, this, we're, we're talking about the people who have careers other than writing. Yeah. Um, but we have promises for some uh, future episodes for some know. really good names. So I we're know. really looking forward to... Uh, Val McDermott has said yes. Richard Cole said yes. Yeah, Reverend Richard Coles said yes. And Rosemary Schrager, who will basically probably will get one question in and she'll go. Yeah, they actually said in September because that's when the paperback comes out. They'd well, like there you go. So uh, quite a few sort of promises. Yeah. And uh, we've got people lined up for future shows, of course. And I think, you know, we should start thinking, as we're on programme 82 this week, who shall we target for programme 100? Because gosh, we, we, we've, got to, we've got to have a block. That, maybe that's the Val episode. Yeah. Or we could put it out to people to vote for who we should approach. Yeah, and maybe they could do the approach for us. Because <laughs> we don't want to. No, because we're scared. <laughs> well, I think we learned from this that essentially... Everybody who here, the authors, are approachable. They're willing to talk. They love to talk about their craft. They do. And I think that's what we give them an opportunity and also show a different side to themselves than, uh, than otherwise. Yeah, so, because we don't just ask the standard questions. We, we ask certainly some don't. of them sometimes, but not all of them. <laughs> so as we um, pack up our gear and head off down south again towards Staffordshire... And the cat. And the cat. Uh, What's your abiding memory of this year's Harrogate for you? Hmm, I think, I mentioned it just now, sitting on those two deck chairs with a drink a drink in my hand and just talking to um, people who we, we knew. So Nick Quantrill through yep. the fact he was Cat on our Yaffin. podcast. Yeah. Um, Yes, Kat as well, and um, Caroline from the UK Crime Book Club Facebook group. Yeah. Who I've never met in person before, yeah. but they... And Donna and... and of we, course, yeah, and, you know, and Brian and Lynn Laversha as well. Just sort of a gentle chat as opposed to, you know... Yeah, I think so. I that's think... a highlight. And just looking over the, the beer tent, because we mm. were up slightly elevated, and we could see everybody mingling around, and mm-hmm. it was, yeah. How about you? My highlight was intercepting Val McDermott as after she'd come out of the toilet and asking for an interview. <laughs> Poor woman. <laughs> and I actually said to her, uh, literally I said, I know you've just come from the loo. Is there any chance we could speak? So uh, she was calm. I mean, I think that broke the ice a little bit. 
Yeah. She was she was charming, but she's an incredibly busy woman with an event like this. I mean, this is her brainchild, so as we were hearing from Denise, and, uh, you know, I think she has a sort of a maternal um, sort of pride of what this place has become over the years and, you know, the fact that her, her contemporaries and friends are now sort of curating each year. So it was Ian Rankin last year, Denise this year. I'm not sure who's doing next year's, but um, it evolves and uh, it, it, it will always be a magnet for the industry and it was interesting the first night we got we here we were talking to you know some of the other publishers and the agents and things like that that were here um it's a great relaxed atmosphere yes for, for that sort of thing but overall i think the number one thing apart from accepting farmer coming out of the loop um would be people coming up to us and saying oh you're hobeck and I listen to your podcast. I love that. Yeah, so that, me too, I mean, you yeah. know, it's great for the ego, but nonetheless, it shows that the program, ha- the podcast, has really had uh, starting to make an impact, and people appreciate what we do. But most important, the one message we got from it, they really appreciate how we do it. How we do it. Yeah, mm. the spirit in which we conduct ourselves, business-wise, socially on the podcast all of that stuff <laughs> I just don't see the nervous energy between the broadcasting bits well that's that's the <laughs> thing you know and you know they don't see you know we may look like the swan on top but you know the legs are going furiously beneath um, but that's part of the part more of like the, a duck I think yeah yeah more like a tadpole but anyway uh, we, we you know it, the thing about coming to an event like this is you should come away feeling yes knackered because of the, the, the exertions of being on your feet all day or walking miles or whatever it might be and drinking too much. But you should come away with a smile on your face and feeling that you're part of something bigger and that you deserve to be there. Yes, and we do. We do. So I think that's time to uh, say thank you so much for joining us here on thank the podcast. Uh, don't forget to go to our website, which is, of course, www.hobeck.net. And uh, if we get the time this week, as the wind picks up, we shall probably put a blog together, I think, for, the, for this week. We, okay. should, we should do. But we've got so much on. As so always. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, it's, uh, we haven't really talked about the business this week, but that hasn't really, you know, this has taken over for, for a few yeah. days. And, and, Carry um, over news and business till next week. Yeah, next week you'll get all that, that, uh, that droll stuff. But uh, from myself, Adrian Hobart. And myself, Rebecca Collins. Thank you so much for joining us. And remember to have a wonderful and creative week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Hobcast from Hobeck Books with Adrian Hobart and Rebecca Collins. You can find the show notes at our website, www.hobeck.net. You can also use the exclusive Hobcast discount code for any of the products at our Hobeck online store. Just enter the code HOBCAST20 for a 20% discount. Don't forget to subscribe to the Hobcast and feel free to contact us with any feedback. Until next time, remember our motto, Trad Values, Indie Spirit. Indie Spirit.